Good afternoon, everybody, and ladies and gentlemen, and good morning, America. I'm Janet West, and on behalf of Broadcast Beat, I'm delighted to welcome you to the third day of our live streaming web show. Um, we're on the air every day from 5 to 6, that's 11 to 12 New York time. And it's being brought to you on the Teradex stand live at IBC 2014. Now, during the show, you can access this video through tunein.com to hear the radio broadcast. And if you note that Broadcast Beat have just launched a really good digital magazine, you can read about it on http colon forward slash forward slash magazine dot broadcastbeat.com. And on that website, you'll be able to see the link to all these programs. Now, We've, we've had two days, we've looked at 4K, we've looked at the broadcast industry, and today we're going to deal with post-production. We're going to see, have we reached you know, the workflow efficiencies that we wanted? What are some of the challenges and what are some of the solutions to those challenges? Now, Broadcast Beat is there to deliver the latest in absolute best technology and solutions in studios and production. But before further ado, I'd like to in introduce my impressive lineup of guests. First of all, on my right, Stephen Streeter, who is CEO of Forbidden Technologies. Stephen holds a degree in mathematics from Cambridge University and a Doctor of Science from the University of Bedfordshire. And this was a, he was awarded recognition, outstanding contribution to the development of computer technologies. Now, Stephen co-founded IDOS, PLC, a pioneer in non-linear editing systems, and founded Forbidden Technologies, PLC. Forbidden's flagship service, Foreseen, is one of the world's most advanced cloud-based video post-production platforms. Now, sitting next to Stephen is Morris Patel. I was going to say uh, um, a fellow Montrealer, but I realized that you actually had your education in uh, London at Imperial College in the science and technology. And you've worked in post-production since 1995, when he joined Avid Technology as a product specialist. Well, Maurice Patel is the entertainment industry manager for Autodesk's media and entertainment business. He's responsible for the company's presence across the film, television, digital media, and game segments. Now, Morris is a frequent public speaker and is regularly called upon to share his expertise on topics ranging from digital cinema, digital intermediates, digital lifelike environments, to the future of visual effects and, of course, what's happening in Bollywood. And next to Maurice is Wolfgang. Wolfgang Lemp is co-founder of Filmlight with colleagues Peter Stothard and Steve Chapman, and that was in 2002 it started. So along with the co-founders, he oversees the general management of the company, including business and product development and strategic development. Now, Wolfgang has a degree in theoretical physics from Munich University and has been working in the motion picture industry since 1983. Now, before co-founding Filmlight, he was director of technology development at Framestore, CFC. And prior to that, he was systems architect for the FX Center in Babelsberg in Germany and director of technology at the Computer Film Company. 
Now, Wolfgang has played an integral role in the development of Filmlight's key products, and BKSTS awarded him and Steve Chapman a scientific and technical award in 2005. And the last of my guests, perched on the uh, end there, is Jim McKenna, who is Vice President of Marketing and Pre-Sales for Facilis. Jim has got over 20 years experience both in the corporate field, Avid Facilities, where he was Chief Engineer in New York, and started Facilis in 2004 and is based in the Hudson Bay over here. So gentlemen, it's been quite interesting going around the stand looking at the post-production uh, stands and I see 4K interoperability cloud everywhere. What do you see as the showstoppers here at IBC as far as post-production is concerned? And have there been any showstoppers since NAB? Um, well, I could put a few things in. Okay. Um, I think for me, obviously I come from the cloud background, but it's the increasing acceptance and awareness of the cloud. And um, for me, the biggest progress has been with the wireless camera adapters. So Sony launched their wireless camera adapter at NAB, but that's now in use in productions. And really, I mean, the cloud, to be serious, has to do you know, glass to glass. And to be right on the camera where it can upload directly into the cloud is, is really sorted out the beginning of, mm -hmm. that, of that workflow. So I think that's going to help cloud workflows develop quite a lot. Okay. Maurice, seen anything that's new here at the show? Well, there's quite a few that's new, but in terms of showstoppers, I think on the technological standpoint, technology continues to evolve, continues to adapt, and to, is actually a way of finding solutions to problems. I think some of the showstoppers are really the, the, the challenges that the industry faces in trying to adapt its business models to deal with the changing environment of media consumption and production. Uh, this is changing away. I think that the industry overall, whether it's games, film, or, or broadcast, are going through some major upheavals in terms of their business models, the way production is funded, financed, how it gets produced, how it gets distributed, how it gets consumed. And as we try to find our way through those changes, technology is, is providing solutions and iterating fast on that. So it's not always predictable which technologies will be the right ones. So you know, the, the, there's a broad diversification of technologies coming to market. And that's what's really exciting is you see a broad range of things uh, appearing every year that we come here. We see new, 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 a lot of new things. Uh, and that's very exciting. So, yeah. Okay, Wolfgang. Well, I broadly agree with Maurice. I think uh, there's a lot of stuff that is happening, but showstopper, I don't think so. The show must go on, and uh, so we have to adapt and uh, make improvements, change things, and nobody quite knows where it's all going to end up. Mm. And uh, I think there's a number of interesting things there, like when you particularly look at, at software, that has evolved over the last 20 years or so. It's become very, very complex and uh, feature-rich. And you can't really add something on a sort of half-yearly cycle that people go all of a sudden, well, that changes everything. It will be a tiny, tiny increment of a few hundred man-hours, perhaps, or man-days that you add it to it against the body that covers many, many man-years of development, so it will be tiny incremental changes. And uh, yes, there is new stuff, but um, I don't really see anything that uh, uh, 
becomes completely unpredictable. Okay. Jim. Well, I think technology needs to be taken into consideration in terms of the problems that we have. Uh, more than anything this week, I've found that uh, facility owners coming to me and saying, you, among other companies, have helped to make post-production more simple uh, over the past few years. Now, things have settled down formats-wise, and, and uh, you know we, we know what we're doing, and the cloud appears, whether it be uh, cloud products like Forbidden or whether it be private cloud products, and now they're telling me it's going to become more complex pretty quickly. Uh, how, do you, how can you help me make this simple again? And uh, I think that's going to be the major uh, sea change uh, in, in the larger market facilities soon, is that the, the services that are going to be offered to their clientele are really going to differentiate them, and I think those services are going to be remote access. Remote access to media, remote editorial, cloud-based services. Um, and yeah, as a storage manufacturer, you know, we need to be able to stay on top of that connect to the proper products where it's where it's feasible to do so uh, not sort of not sort of overreach our, our usability in terms of a, of a facility storage system uh, but allow them to to be ultra connected uh, wherever they need to be with the proper security and I think that you know uh, I think forbidden represents a good a yeah. good uh, option there Okay. I mean, I remember years ago in the industry, we were talking about we're going to be getting much more efficient workflows. Yes, we're going to achieve really efficient workflows. And along comes 4K. We're talking about 8K. What, what challenges have we got with the workflow? You're saying clients are asking to simplify things. What do we need to do? Um, I think it's to do with the inertia of, of the people in the industry. Um, we did a calculation. I mean, we have quite a few people here who are at Avid, but if you had started off in editing in your early 20s, you know, as a runner, and then you got into editing, I mean, Avid's been around 25 years, so anyone under 50 has basically only had an Avid. So that is how people see editing and post-production. Mm. They, they have that m mental model. And that, the, the, that was fine for years and years, but what's happened is with the growth of IT, the IT is has a completely different pace of change. So, I mean, one of the statistics I like to quote, which is, you know, slightly, you know, take it as you see it, but it took something like 40 years for broadcast to move from standard definition to high definition. But in IT, when I got my mobile phone, it took 18 months. And then 18 months later, I had 4K. And now I have two phones, and they're both 4K. Of course, you know, people in broadcast will know what, you know, it's quotes 4K. But the pace of IT is completely different from the pace of broadcast. Mm -hmm. But the people who've been in broadcast for years and years, they don't change, like every year, change their mind, change their workflows. So I think it's sort of, the new technologies are very disruptive if you really want the efficiencies. If you don't have the disruptive changes in the workflows, then you do get improvements, but they're much more incremental. So it's really as people need them. In fact, we had our biggest growth when the credit crunch first hit because people had lower budgets and they needed to adopt more efficient workflows. Mm -hmm. And we would say, well, why didn't you adopt this before? We had this before. And they said, yeah, but we were quite happy doing what we've always done. And you know, it's much easier not to change. We could have changed, but why bother? And it was necessity that pushed the development of, of workflows. Jim, what do you feel about that? Well, in terms of the technology required to make things simple with cameras acquisition formats and, and the differences in, in the way we're doing business these days and the way we're doing production these days, uh, I've I felt that you know over the past few years it's been 
sort of a, an all or nothing proposition, you know, where if you're in 4K, you got to be really in 4K and or else don't even start to try it. And I think more technologies have come about that, that enables people to sort of dip their toe in and say, you know, like, we can do this, we can do this on a budget, and we can do this in such a way where we get, we get all of the, the, the quality uh, of the image uh, without having sort of heavy iron uh, attached to the back end. And I think that's, you know, that's where I think we, we can come in and that's where we can consult with people on, you know, whether it be a, a ProRes codec or whether it be a RAW format, whether it be setting up your, your systems to be able to deal with RAW formats and, and GPU and things like that. Um, trying to make things simple in those ways so that you know, the workflow is, is not dependent upon um, you know, what, what the, the large shops are doing and saying that that needs to be the, 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 the sort of status quo. It's, it's what you need to do you know, for your customers and you know, to bid the jobs that you need to win. Do you agree, Wolfgang? Well, I, I think it's a bit more complicated. I think there's a, there's a uh, if you want, a division of responsibility. We as manufacturers, we're there to make things more simple, but the our users, they have a creative responsibility to mess things up. <laughs> and they will take every opportunity to take advantage of a simplified workflow to make it more complicated again. And I think that's a fantastic situation. And so I don't expect anything much to change over the long run in terms of, say, how movies are made, because um, it's an opportunity to do something new and, and the, the driving force of movie making, of creative content creation is to, to tell a new story or to tell a story in a new way. And if we didn't provide those improvements in efficiency, then um, it would be very, very difficult to achieve that. Yeah, Morris? I agree with Wolfgang. One of the, uh, we have an interesting kind of a anecdote that we often tell each other in the office, which is we'll work with our customers to build the perfect Formula One race car, and then the next director says, okay, I need to take it down to the bottom of the ocean. So <laughs> you're back to, you know, and, and gravity was a great example of that. And so, you know, like a director comes on and says, I want to shoot something in outer space. How am I going to do it? Well, okay, we're going to have to spin the set around the actors somehow to create that illusion. So you bring in a whole new set of processes and technologies, which are completely unheard of, and you have to figure them out, figure out what is going to be the efficient way of doing that movie. And I think efficiency is kind of a holy grail in the sense I don't know if it's really feasible. You can make certain parts more efficient, but ultimately the processes aren't standardized because it's creative. I, yeah. there's, a, there's a strong wish to standardize more of the processes. And I think unlike manufacturing where production process and vertical integration to drive efficiency has become very systematized, that's not really the case here. To a certain extent it could be, but I agree with Wolfgang. Once you throw the creative element where it's like, okay, you made this work really, really well, but I want to do something totally different. That's the prerogative of the creative person, the creative mind to do that, and they will do that. Um, and so you have to then adapt, and that throws out any of the efficiency you might have built into the old workflows, and, and you now have to set, think of a new set of problem, problem, uh, problems to solve. One of the things we have noticed very clearly coming out of the industry is, a, is now a greater understanding of, where, of trying to figure out where is the creative innovation and where are we just repeating ourselves, kind of reinventing the wheel. And we see that with Alembic, OpenEXR, all these companies are now starting to say, well, this isn't so much secret source. I'm going to open source that and make that more generally available because at least that part becomes standardized. I have interoperability or exchange that makes sense. It's not 
proprietary anymore. This notion of everything being proprietary is starting to go away so that people can focus on what are the creative things that really drive the, 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 the differentiation or the innovation. Those, of course, we want to keep. Uh, whereas we want to make the, the back end, if we want to think of it, that the workflow is more efficient by opening it up. And production management, I do think, is becoming increasingly a concern of our customers. They're more interested in it. It was why we acquired Shotgun a couple of months ago, uh, because we're really seeing a strong demand to drive those more standardized processes where it makes sense. But I agree with Wolfgang. I don't think that we're ever going to drive to, you know, like this is going to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a production chain like in order manufacturing. Right. So are, you, are you saying perhaps we should be designing flexible workflows? They to have to be, creatives yeah. To oh. change things quickly. We have the same issue with our creatives, that they're creative, and you never know until really the day the production started what workflow they're actually going to use. And they'll come in and say, oh, we've just changed everything around. Yeah. It's got to adapt. I heard a comment on, on the, one of the stands this morning that they felt that not the top productions that have got you know, the multi-million dollar budgets, etc., but in middle-of-the-road type productions, that the technology available now is actually quashing creativity at the lower end. Do you agree that? I'm not, no, no? <laughs> I don't really think so. No? Uh, I mean, technology can be daunting, uh, but it can also be, for those who, who know how to embrace it, can be very empowering. But are they using technology for technology's sake? Well, maybe it allows less creative people to still be impressive. Right. I think so that's a very important point. Yeah. Uh, the, the content creation business is now open to virtually everyone. Yeah. And that means that there's a lot of people who simply A, don't know what they're doing, and B, don't really have any original ideas. And um, we see a lot of it, exposed to a lot of it through uh, the web in particular, and, and so there's a general feeling that things have gone down the drain, but uh, when you think back over the decades, um, A, rubbish was produced in the past as well, and B, uh, good stuff is still there and still stands out. Mm. Rubbish was produced in the past, but it took a team of people to produce that rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it all by yourself. Uh, yeah, I do believe maybe not maybe not washing out creativity, but diluting diluting the creativity. I mean, mm. maybe there's there's there is so much out there that you can't you can't find uh, the, the real creative material. I mean, the real creative work as easily as you could before because there yeah. just wasn't as much of it. I mean, uh, if you if you peruse YouTube today, you're going to find some things. I mean, I've seen some things on YouTube where I thought the production values were amazing. Yeah. And I and, and the creativity was amazing, but it's it's just lost. It's lost among the sea, you know. Yeah. And if this person was was making shows and making programming, you know, 20 years ago, you know, we, they'd be a household name. But isn't yeah. it someone's job to spot them and bring them into broadcast? Should where be. they <laughs> have the right so. equipment? I think that's an interesting issue because um, there's a lot produced, and so the the skill is now to make yourself heard or seen. And that requires a different, it's not necessarily a creative skill. It's not about the quality of the content. It's about the quality of the marketing, if you want. And uh, the two are not necessarily going together. Yeah. Yeah. Though it's actually true of not only of media, I think it's true of most information that's on online. It, 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 you, there is an inundation of information, whether, it, whether you want actually in-depth information about current events, whether you want good entertainment or whether you want really good sources of information for you know scientific research all of that you do have to sift there is a greater task to find it yeah to actually yeah. find the quality 
reliable information or good quality entertainment. So, I, yeah, I, does, I think it's a generic problem. Work. It does take work. Normally yeah. I watch the BBC, but I watch Russia Today, yeah. and their story on Ukraine is surprisingly slightly different <laughs> from the BBC. Exactly. It's quite interesting to... So is 4K going to make the post industry have a headache or solve some problems? I, I think the technology advances so quickly that 4K, in a year or two, it'll be as easy as 2K was. It's just yeah. the, the standard I IT. Agree. I mean, my phone, I was looking at my phone, and it's, I calculated this morning, it's 30 billion instructions per second. And when I was a student, we had a Cray 1, and that was 80 million. So it's almost a thousand times faster yeah. in my hand, and the Cray 1 was $13 million. So I have confidence that the storage and the processing <coughs> will increase. Well, yeah. I, I, I don't agree, actually. Um, of course, 4K is going to get easier and easier or faster and faster, but 2K will always be four times faster in terms of processing bandwidth. So the question is, how much added value do you get? And uh, a lot of it is driven by, by the desire to, to have bigger numbers by the display manufacturers, by the camera manufacturers. Very little attention is given to the fact how much more do you see, how much more does it, or how much does it enhance the, the visual experience. And uh, certainly, I mean, here in Europe in particular, people are very, very cynical and skeptical about the actual benefit of it. And uh, I, I think, of course, it's going to happen. And uh, there's some outstanding examples that you can see now. But uh, I think it will take a long way to make the broadcast industry and its huge amount of infrastructure uh, change their ways. I mean, a lot of it is not even at HD at the moment. So. Uh, yeah. And then yeah, also, think, once yeah. it's gone through the repurposing um, down the, the whole chain, there is going to be a quality loss. Not so good. It's very interesting watching my children. So my oldest child is eight, and they watch CBeebies on TV, and it must be compressed to like half a megabit per second, because you think, how can she watch that? But she does not notice that it's different from the HD channel because she's involved in the content. And when she watches on her tablet, she's downloading at two megabits. And you're saying, you know, that's not HD, two megabits. But, but when I look at old standard definition on my TV, I think, did I really watch that rubbish? You know, the HD looks so much better. So I think, and with 4K, I'm sure my children, when they get used to it, will be looking at HD and saying, I can't believe you used to watch that rubbish. So maybe there's different markets, different audiences, but the comparative, it's like an arms race. When you see them side by side, you do notice the difference. But there is, I do believe almost there's a, there's a f there's, I, I agree with Wolfgang in that technology can, can move much faster than the human ability to adapt to it, let's put it yeah. that way. Um, and so, you know, our, our human adaptation is a very slow process. Technology is a very fast process, as we were talking about. So technology can definitely give you technology that's beyond our, you know, visual capability to actually resolve the displays that we're doing. And, and you could imagine that. You could put a, you know, a 100K display, but your if eyes won't resolve it. the human eye can't it. resolve it, what's the point? But, yes. yeah, but your technology could get you there. So, 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 there is, so, there's a, there's, so then the question is, what are the equilibrium points and where do they get established? You know, the trade-offs between you know, the efficiency and what's really required. Then there's always, there's a, there, I mean, the, the economic systems we are give you a commercial imperative to always push it and to make you want that. Uh, whether you, you need it or not, whether it actually has a meaning on, or not in terms of, you know, visual acuity or not. Um, so, so 
I don't think you can necessarily stop that. that, 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 that those are sometimes deeper philosophical discussions about can you put human can the human race go into a status quo or holding pattern? Or is that just our nature? We, we've evolved that way. It's how we got here. It's how we survived. So we will continue to push those boundaries because it's just human nature. Um, so I, I do believe that we will continue to push these technologies. But I agree with Wolfgang, whether they really matter or not might be secondary to the fact that we, the, you know, our economic systems will probably continue to push us down the route of making these faster, easier, cheaper, more accessible. It's quite interesting yeah. Stephen's comments because it made me think about years ago when I did the public demonstrations of high definition in the States and I had beautiful HD pictures and as I love flying I put a bit of the Top Gun which was 35 millimeter trans transferred and the result was which piece of video did you like the best? Guess what? It was the dogfight with the Top Gun scene. And I've often heard recently that, hang on, it's actually what you're looking at. It's the content which is going to drag you in. It's the technophiles at a show like this, but the actual consumers want really good content. And we've used the expression for years, content is king. Um, just change the subject slightly. At IBC, a lot of the stands are being cooled with four degree water want really good content and we've used the expression for years content is king um, just change the subject slightly at IBC a lot of the stands are being cooled with four degree water which is very good as opposed to more energy using um, you know air conditioning systems to cool the equipment that's here um, because a lot of the, the kit, particularly in the post industry and the, the servers etc render farms are using an awful lot of energy. So with this current lack of interoperability, once you start working on different platforms, basically what we've got is a whole load of CPUs burning energy away. What can we do about that? Because this is unsustainable. What can we do? Do we need industry formats? Jim? Well, I had thought when you first said that that you know virtual machines uh, can can do an awful lot to, to ease the load on, on of course you know uh, the traditional you know processor blade servers, um, workstations. And I think it, that we're heading in that direction more and more. It's, it's been an IT you know stalwart for a long time, and I think post production, of course, the convergence of that has helped sort of bring that full, that technology uh, into this industry, and I think that. And that's probably the biggest thing I see that allows us to, you know, because really the, the green drives and the green features and a lot of the new platforms coming out don't jive very well with our industry and we have to end up turning them off. Uh, so, but I think that in, 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 in uh, specifically, uh, you know, with the multiprocessor cores and with the ability to run virtual machines, will do the most to offset, you know, some of these, these new challenges. Yeah. I think there are a number of trends overlapping. I, I'm actually not that concerned about it because you look back over the last 10 years or 20 years in terms of power consumption or even power consumption per instruction, um, it's gone down absolutely dramatically. And the amount of effort that is put into creating low-energy green processes is phenomenal. And uh, you see it, I mean, I see it with the products that we sell. They have... Uh, shrunk from uh, whatever cabinet-sized machines that use three, four kilowatts down to a box that we have here, it's 50 watts. And the processing power are pretty much the same. So uh, I, I, there's more to, more to do, and uh, I think uh, there's a long way to go to, to make that ultimately more efficient, but the, the underlying physics allow us to do that. So 
that's not so bad. Okay. Maurice brought up something earlier about you know this disruption in the industry with technologies, etc., and people who've worked in the industry for so long have got certain skills. Do we have a skill set problem in post-production for people who were in the traditional way of editing I and, and? I think we we do. Well, you can class it as a problem. I think if people had different skills, things would be more efficient, and I think that applies everywhere. It's just a question of is the incentive there to change. And we are talking about power just a minute ago. Uh, we have servers in the cloud, and we pay an extra tax on the energy yeah. of servers in the cloud, because there's some rule in the UK that if you have a building that has a certain amount of energy, or whatever it is. Um, but I think tax. the savior there, yeah, carbon tax. The savior there, I think, is going to come from this technology. You see it in mobile phones, where the, the, you know, I mentioned the Cray one earlier, but that was huge amount of power, you know, megawatts of power, and now you run it in a battery on a, on a phone. So I think the technology will push that if they're the right incentives. I don't think there's any reason. And we look at Google, it's got a million servers, its servers maybe two million, and we've handled, as, well, you know, millions of hours of video, five million hours, that's more than YouTube, but we only have 12 servers in our, in our, um, in our cloud because we have efficient algorithms. Of course, we don't benefit much from that because the carbon tax is so low. But I think um, it's just that awareness. And it's the same with the skills in the well, it's a slightly different area, but skills in post-production. People aren't even aware that there are new things that they could learn and there are new workflows because there isn't that incentive. They've always done it the way they've done it and it works. They're guaranteed to get their programs out. I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people in broadcast are not as aware of as I would have hoped is in social media. There should be, you know, I mean, we, we saw a talk this morning, more than half of all media is consumed on mobile devices. So, not on television. And yet, uh, and these are all promoted by, you know, social media Twitter yep. feeds, Facebook, you find a good video, and the broadcasters should be putting their trailers out, and the, they get a buzz, so that when the program comes in, everyone's talking about it, mm -hmm. and they watch it. And obviously that's starting, and it happens a bit. But I think it should be part of the post-production process that you produce the trailers and you distribute them and this is coming and here's the teasers. Um, but our clients completely separate the post-production and then they deliver a tape or a, the disc with the final program on it. They strip off all the metadata, which is perfect for search engines, and they just give the broadcaster a, a disc, who then may or may not get around to putting it in social media and adding the metadata where they don't really know which mm -hmm. bits to tag and what to put in. So there's a sort of disconnect. And I think it's all part of this traditional workflow where you do it in lots of stages, each of which used to be very hard. Mm -hmm. And as those stages sort of compress for a lot of the content, um, it, 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 there's sort of bits missing, the new bits that are missing, mm -hmm. which are the, the internet bits and the, the new devices. People watch video on phones now, they watch it on tablets. Yeah. That isn't reflected fully if you go around IBC. It's all about 4K monitors and 8K is the future. Mm. I think the future is mobile phone, <laughs> not 8K. But, well, we'll see. We'll see which happens. Jimmy, you want to comment to say, It's make? interesting when you mentioned the skill sets and, and how they've changed yeah. and, and sort of the lack of skill sets versus, you know, the need for certain skill sets today. I, interesting comments from editors. My, my, my tape op has become an assistant editor. What happened? You know, my, my, my post house is now a production company. 
you know. Uh, so with with the need for all this content, you're, you're finding people's skill sets are changing from from very traditional niche jobs to you know uh, wearing a lot of hats, you know, and, and having to deal with deal with the production content, deal with the production process as well as the post process delivery. Uh, and I think those skill sets are going to be valuable for the future uh, for the kids coming out of school today. They they, they can't just settle it, settle for being you know, a, a tape op or a QC guy or something like that because all of those things are going to be automated. You've got to cross-skill and upskill yeah, during exactly. your career. So yeah. I think it's an interesting time right now. Yeah. yeah. I don't believe there's a simple answer to that question because ultimately the skills change and the requirement for skills change. I think what ha what's happening is that, uh, so uh, interestingly enough, my very first gig when I joined the industry in the early 90s was training optical compositors to do digital compositing. Similarly, in parallel, I was also training pa paint box artists to use digital paint tools. So their skills had to change. And then, so, so my first experience was trying to teach some people to change their skill sets. And interestingly enough, not all of them made that transition. In fact, very few of the optical compositors that I trained there, I think, are in the industry today. Um, the, the, so, so, so the skills have to change. I think uh, correlated another point with in IT technologies where things change very fast, the skills have to change quickly too. I mean. I ch I, it, ironically, I mean, not ironically, as an example, pretty much my job changes year to year. Every year I'm doing a different job. So that's kind of the reality of when you're in the high-tech business, that's what yeah. you do. They, your your yeah. job fundamentally can change from one year to the next, and then you have to adapt. Yeah. So the skill that you have to adapt is that adaptability mm -hmm. if you're in high-tech. And high-tech is impacting more and more the production environment, and it is challenging those traditional skills. A lot of people, as we said before, came in with the, you know, it was kind of the, in the certainly in the film, the guild mentality. You came and you did that job for your lifetime, and it was pretty much the same job. Mm. But if you're working with equipment and that equipment is evolving at a very fast rate, then that job is bound to change and the skill then becomes about adapting to that change. And, the and you can't preordain what those skills might be that you have to learn. They, 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 they will evolve as the technology evolves. Yeah. But some people don't want to change. Um, That's so human we were nature talking, for a lot of people, isn't well, it? Well, yes, we were talking to, I was talking to a Swedish journalist um, in, after one of the talks and he said, that he thinks all the journalists, you know, they should be doing filming on their phones at HD because the consumers can't tell, and editing, and, and, and actually they don't want to be editors. They want to go out and get stories because they're journalists. Yeah. And he can tell them as many times as he wants, I want you to edit. And they say, no, I don't want to go all the way to IBC and spend 10 hours editing and one hour getting stories. They want to spend 10 hours getting stories and have an editor to do the editing. Okay. So. Although the jobs change, the people may not want to change, even though they could do. Maybe mm. they don't enjoy editing. Well, I don't see why anyone wouldn't enjoy editing personally, but maybe they just enjoy yeah. the journalism side of things. I want to change topic a little bit. <coughs> We're working right across the globe in many productions these days. Is there a human management problem? when we're working so remotely, when your post-production houses uh, are working so remotely? Are there some issues? Is it a technology issue or is it a management issue? Well, I would think that the, the first thing I thought of when I heard about you know cloud editorial, I mean, this, this goes back to some, some early asset management systems when they first started to do web-based editorial. You can get to it via HTTP uh, and, and outside the facility. Yeah. I always thought, you know, how, you know, how are they managing this? How are they making sure this is being done? And obviously, the content is, is how you know. You know, if it's being done, it's being done. If it's not, then you should find somebody else. And I think that's one of the things that, that I, I wondered about when Stephen came you know, with this, this idea. Was, how do you manage this? And I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about that. Well, um, I think actually people do still work face-to-face -face quite a lot. And 
um, I think that's you need some amount of face-to-face -face, I think mm -hmm. because you convey a lot more you know you have a slightly concerned look which you might not notice I mean I'm always amazed at the amount of, of social networking and people are on Facebook 90% of uh, Facebook users use it every month and 87% use it every day and they are getting some element of social, you know, of social network. Obviously, if you're using a logging system, there's a limit to how much social contact you need. But at the creative end, we still have our directors sitting next to our editors, and they just have the different systems. They use the different systems that are more relevant mm -hmm. to their particular skill sets, but they do sit together quite mm -hmm. a lot. What do you feel, Maurice, about that? So, it's an interesting question. <laughs> I think that... So, I, I, I kind of take a, a little philosophical view in terms of like how human society evolves and changes, the economics that drive those changes. I think, it's, I think there are broader implications in terms of how society is evolving that are beyond the media and entertainment industry which influence this. Uh, what is, what, so what is happening is that digital technology is enabling production to be delocalized anywhere at a very fast rate. So, so the technology is enabling new systems to evolve. How those are managed are still very nascent. How the human interactions evolve, the economic implications, the societal implications, implication on salaries, on you know worker, um, on, 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 on kind of worker satisfaction. All these. Uh, they're, 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 they're transformational things that the ind our industry is going through. They're, tr they're transformational things that other industries have been through through the in the past. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, there's no. I don't believe there's a particularly a rosy picture. I think this is kind of an inevitable evolution because progress just continues. We can't yeah. seem to stop it. It's just human nature. At the same time, it has implications on society. Uh, it has implications on you know communities of, of groups of workers, and we've seen that in the visual effects industry. I don't think it's confined to the visual effects industry. We've seen it in the games industry. We see you know production ramp up at the minute. You know where I am, Montreal. It's the hotspot now. Everyone's yeah. setting up a facility there. Uh, that has implications on local economies, uh, it has implications on, you know, on, the, on, the, on the global economy. And, and those are complex things, and I don't believe that there's a, any model that can model out what this really means and how it's really going to evolve. But for sure, at, a, at an individual level, it can be very painful, uh, and it requires, it requires diligence in managing that mm -hmm. because there is a responsibility there. So it's not a light-hearted thing for anyone, for a managerial decision to be made to do this but sometimes it's an economic necessity to the business, so it has to be done. Um, it, it's, it's, it's complex, and there's no easy answer, and I don't have an answer, but I do realize that this is a complex issue. Now, don't forget, you can keep up to date on Broadcast Beat with all the latest in post-production and production. And as I mentioned, you can hear podcasts on tunein.com. Just search for Broadcast Beat. Change the subject again. <coughs> 3D models, they tend to be created, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but they tend to be created fresh each time when there's a new production. And yet some may not be used. Are there mechanisms in place where perhaps you might have a movie and then a game evolves afterwards to manage the imagery from one um, outsource to another? Well, or is that a sort to, of... I used to run a games company and we always said, we'll make our model and then we can use it again and again on every game and we'll only have to do it once. And every game, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, every game they wanted something new <laughs> because they'd seen that before, they'd seen it. So we right. had to do a new model every single game. So, 
I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the day to day of every one of our customers. It's our day to day of building solutions to customers because we build 3D animation tools for games and film and TV. Yeah, I mean, people want fresh content, so so you you can't reuse a lot of content, or if you reuse it, you at least have to modify it in certain ways. Yeah. Technology also requires different, uh, the technology will move, so the rigging system that you might have used, you know, to create the original one might not be the rigging system that you're going to use because now you're using virtual production and now you need to map mocap onto that model and it wasn't set up to do that, so. Um, yeah, no, I, d I don't, s I, I mean, to a certain extent you try and reuse what you have, but almost rarely are you going to use it as is. Uh, and the, the idea that you can produce something that's going to work across all media effectively from one asset is is probably quite a lot of way away. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, you need more convergence in, in the formats in the industries, that, uh, I mean, ultimately for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, we've been trying to create realistic human beings. And humans are quite good at analyzing. I can look at you, Jim, and tell you very much that you're human, as I can with the rest of my panel. Are we getting to the point where you aren't going to be able to, are the tools there to actually make the human look? Well, I think we're pretty good with apes these days. So um, if you map that to the evolution <laughs> overall, then obviously there will come a point where uh, even an educated viewer will be fooled, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, no, it's, it's the famous uncanny valley, you know, the, the closer you get, the harder it becomes. Um, I, I, I do believe we can get there, but it will require a lot of human input to get there. I do not believe that the machine will be able to do it automatically. Uh, I think it's like having that as an automated process is like AI, it's, you know, it's a philosophical yeah. discussion as to whether you know, you could have a sentient machine. It's a philosophical discussion whether a machine could create a believable human without an artist doing a whole lot of manual work to, to imbibe soul and personality and character into what's being created. So, so I do believe that, I agree with, that the technology will enable us to do that more and more efficiently and easily and we will get close to that holy grail of having believable humans. Uh, but uh, first of all, I don't think we're close. And secondly, I don't think we'll ever get it to a point where, you know, make human button will exist. So, so it will always require humans. So you're basically replacing one human with another human or maybe a group of humans to create that human. So the trade-off is why are you doing that? So <laughs> when you might as well just film an actor. Now, you, there might be very compelling reasons to do it because, hey, you want six-foot blue or eight-foot blue aliens or you want to film something that's yeah. physically impossible or it'd be really dangerous to do or just for the art's sake of doing it. But to a point where you just replace everyone with digital characters where you're going to hire a whole bunch of humans to make a whole bunch of humans, yeah? You so might as well use the human actors in the first place. <laughs> so yes. yeah, so it, it's a, it becomes a trade-off question as to why you're doing it, but you know, and sometimes you just want to do it for the sake of doing because you can, because hey, we're like that. That's human nature. Yeah, but it, I think you will lose some of the richness of having real people, and you don't. You don't well, really I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Right, yes. Well, and we, I think we all agree with that. We all so too. <laughs> and I, I walked by Madame Tussauds the other yeah. day, and you know, they're way ahead in wax figures than they are in 3D modeling, and the technology that's put into a wax figure is. How many times less than <laughs> that of that of uh, 3D modeling? So I, th I really think that you know uh, there's there's a sense of texture, there's a sense of 3D that you can't get with 3D, uh, and there's 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 something about seeing something physically in front of you and having it in your space that that just can't be replicated mm -hmm. on a screen, uh, no matter what you do. So I'll be interested to see you know of course where this where this goes, but mm -hmm. it's going to be tough. 
Now, I have heard, and I'm sure for the big productions this isn't the case, but I have heard that production budgets and post-production budgets are being squeezed more and more. Obviously, for one particular application, you might find Autodesk kit one place, various manufacturers in different places. Are we seeing more and more sharing between post houses around the world to complete productions? Or are we seeing more of like the Soho Net in London just locally sharing? Well, from my experience, we are seeing a lot more of it. And we're seeing uh, people, uh, uh, sort of localized work groups that also include other facilities across the country and across the world. It's, it's, it's happening more and more. And, it, and we have to deal with the sort of the latencies introduced in that kind of workflow and, and yeah. sort of deal with that. Now, you know, these facilities are doing 90% of their work locally in-house, you know, supervised. Uh, but that 10% that they can do remotely, that they can actually log into somebody else's server, log into somebody else's uh, media cache in their repository and, and, and pull that down directly in real time and stand work with it, uh, it's, it's saving them a lot of time, you know, and, and obviously that's... And resources and cost of investment in new equipment. Right, and the infrastructure, of course, yeah. is a major part of that. But uh, I'm seeing it on the uptick, and we have some customers who are doing this day to day, and they tell people they're doing it, and they say, that's impossible, and they say, no, we're doing it. And it's, it's not impossible, but it's not probable that we'll see it, um, you know, to a large degree, um, you know, in, in the immediate future, just based on what we all know about the Internet and its diminishing return at this point. Very quickly, final point. What do you really want to see come out soon? <laughs> Anything particular? I think the things I want to see are coming out, which is better infrastructure, better technology. The disks are halved in price every year. Doesn't necessarily help you, but they're bigger, they're double the size. Mm -hmm. Makes yep. things easier. The internet's doubled in speed. The mobile devices, people are using more of those. The cameras are improving. Just that progress in, in IT, which we've had for decades, I think that can only be good for broadcast, just to make supply easier. Okay. I think the, you know, um, SSD technology. I think if, if that can if that can speed things up, if, if, if we can speed up that, I should say, if if, um, if that can be sped up by the industry, uh, we'll see a lot of dividends. I think you know across across workflows where where very high bandwidth is required and, and easy accessibility and, and low latency is required. Um, you know, it's 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 there to a certain extent, but it's not there uh, in a wide enough way right now where we can deploy it. You know, across across the the, the volume of, of systems that we sell. I think for a storage company, that, that's going to be very important come the next three or four years. Wolfgang, well, I'm last I'm more a visual person. I, I uh, all that infrastructural stuff. I mean, it's important. That's what we're concerned about day to day. But actually, what I care about is nicer images, and I think. Uh, what is emerging now, and there's a lot of discussions here on the shelf floor about high dynamic range displays, and uh, there's huge potential there. The technology is sort of getting to the point where uh, the, the first consumer televisions are coming out later in the year, and they add a huge amount to the visual experience when you experience it and it's done well. And I, I'd certainly like to see a lot more of that. Yeah. And finally, Morris? Oh, I'd see, like, to, I, it's hard to narrow it down. Like, there's so many things I'd like to see. 20 seconds. <laughs> 20 seconds, okay. <laughs> I'd like to see more immersive games, great, or film entertainment, you know. Like, like I definitely want to see new generations, innovations of entertainment. I'm always uh, anticipating what's the, the next thing that's going to, like, yeah. knock me back in my yeah. seat. 
In terms of what I would like to see for the industry, I would definitely like to see more efficiencies in the production process, more standardization. I would like to see more collaboration between vendors. I think we are making a lot of efforts to be uh, with between be more vendor agnostic in the sense of collaborating where it really makes sense to collaborate. And I would like to see more of that because I do believe that we as vendors can really help the industry be more efficient and, and, and therefore enable that great creativity, which is the important thing. Thank you very much, panel. Thank you, Jim McKenna from Facilis, Wolfgang from uh, Filmlight, and Maurice from Autodesk, and Stephen from Forbidden. I'm Janet West, and on behalf of Broadcast Beat, I'd like to thank you for watching. Do join us tomorrow. We're going to be looking at media asset management, 5 to 6 o'clock European time, 11 to 12 o'clock on the East Coast. Thank you very much, and don't forget to check out the magazine, magazine.broadcastbeat.com, to check out the latest on products and get the link, obviously, to share with your friends the show tomorrow. Thank you. Goodbye. Perfect Balance Technology.